0: We're reading 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we're reading from 12 through to 28. So 12 to 28, on the screen behind me, if you can grab your Bibles, there's Bibles at the back as well, right near the very lovely Paul Davies there, but if you want to grab a Bible, get one, or on the screen behind me, and it says this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from, uh, of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are, found, uh, we are, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we, are te- because we testify about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by, what, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then, as his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies, his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in in subjection under his feet. But uh, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is is accepted uh, who put all things in in subjection under him. When all things are subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Good, I'm done right
1: on hey everyone i'm cam uh so good to have you here um if you are new uh great to have you here uh this is an exciting passage to be um to hear and to to look into uh so i'm just going to pray for us as we as we start uh that um whatever's going on in our lives right now that is we just we just settle and and hear from god this morning and the hope that he has for us so you pray with me uh, Father, we thank you so much that uh, you are a good God and, and in your word you provide hope um, and hope that is real. And we just pray now that um, whatever we're going through in our weeks, uh, whatever is, is bringing us down or if we're feeling the brokenness of this world, that you would clearly speak to us this morning, uh, help us to see you truly, help us to, to have, be joyful in this truth, may you redirect our paths to follow you more. And we just pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, well, um, when was the last time that you, that you really looked forward to a day? You had something in your calendar set out, maybe it was a, a wedding, maybe it was a birthday, whatever it was, that you just like, yes, I'm so looking forward to that day. Um, when was that? Uh, a few years ago, one of my brothers and I, uh, Doug, uh, he, we were going over to a big Scottish Family reunion um, over in the UK, and uh, our flight over there meant that we had to stop off in Singapore, um, and it was like a five-hour layover, which sucked. But uh, what we did first was we headed straight to the food court uh, as we would, and we kind of wandered around and we looked, and we, we came across this shop, which had these desserts that we had never seen before. Uh, it was bizarre. They were chilled, and they kind had this like cool vapor kind of like pouring off them. Uh, they were these little round balls. Uh, and so we, we asked what they were to the person who's behind the counter. And, and the easiest way to describe these things was that they were um, sweet, chewy balls of ice cream. <laughs> and so, like, of course we bought some. Like, we're not idiots. We're like, let's get the sweet, chewy balls of ice cream. <laughs> uh, and remember, we, we took a bite of this at the same time, and our minds were blown. <laughs> we're like, what is this magical thing? We, we, it was a game-changer for our five-hour layover. Like, we were like, okay, we are buzzing now. <laughs> a few years later, I was, um, I was heading back overseas to, to see my, my family again, and same thing, I had to stop off in Singapore Airport. I tell you, on the flight over, I'm like, <laughs> oh, a sweet Chewy Balls ice cream. I'm going straight there. I'm going to go buy them. I'm going to sit in like, those free foot massage chairs. They have free foot massage chairs there. and I'm just going to be in another world. On the plane, I was getting giddy, and I tell you what, I was, I was really putting a lot of hope in this stuff. Um, so I get off the plane, and I make, a, I make a beeline to the food court area, and I'm kind of looking around. I'm like, I think I vaguely re- recognize it, where the shop should be, and it wasn't there. And I'm searching around. And I'm like, I'm looking all around the food court. And I'm like, where are they? And, and they were nowhere to be seen. And so I go up to and ask someone else in the shop, and I'm like, so... This is a bit weird, um, weird question, sorry, but there was a shop here like a few years ago It saw these like sweet chewy balls, like, like vapor poured off them, like are they still around? And they were confused, um, they had no idea what I was on about, so <laughs> legit I was walking around sad, I saw this old security guard and I'm like, he's been here for years, he knows where they are. <laughs> and so I went and I got to him and he looked at me very questionably and, and I was left without my sweet, chewy balls of ice cream. I searched, it, I searched the whole airport. They weren't there. My hope for these delicious balls of ice cream were crushed. Like, I was legitimately disappointed by it. Um, I had another 16 hours of flying left over, and so I was just like, this sucks. <laughs> and look, this is, this is silly. Um, but but it, it is the case, right, that in life we put our hopes in things that, just, that really are just insecure. They're, they're unstable, that get us through. You know, we often fall into that trap of thinking that life would just be better right now if I just had this. We've, we've come out of winter right now, right? And it's a, it's a beautiful day. Um, and it's that time of year where well, I imagine a lot of us are, are feeling you know, pretty tired. Maybe we're feeling like, unsettled and anxious. And we'd, we'd, we've had this season where we're now trying to find something to put our hope in. And so, you know, we may hope for a, a new job in the next year that would fulfill us deeper. You know, we may uh, desire and, and hope for a new relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend that would fill our desires. We may hope for a, for a new fresh start uh, when the year comes around. We may hope for a season where we just don't feel the burdens of life. You know, we may hope for just, for just some consistent joy in life. I wonder what you're, what you're putting your hope in life right now. Because as Gav mentioned at the start, it, the world seems a little bit hopeless. There's high tension internationally with North Korea. There's hurricane after hurricane. There is earthquakes going on. Locally, we have a, a debate over same-sex marriage that's just brought a lot of ugliness on both sides. And it does make us question what hope is there for this world? What hope is there for a broken world with broken souls? What hope is there for us individually? When we fail to kind of live up to our own expectations, when we fail to live rightly by God, when we fail to to, to just live for Him, what hope is there for us? And is this life all there is? Or is there hope for something to come? In today's passage in 1 Corinthians, the, the writer of this letter, Paul, he addresses this question. And how he does that is, is by correcting the Corinthians on a massive error they've made in their understanding. We're now in our in our second last week of 1 Corinthians. We've been here for a couple of months. Uh, and if you haven't been with us, uh, it was written to a Wayward church in the port city of Corinth. Uh, Paul was the writer. And he's written this to kind of rebuke this church and get them back on track, to redirect them uh, because they've been divisive and they've been uh, disunited. They've, they've loved leaders instead of Jesus. They've, they've let the promiscuous culture of the Corinthians like, uh, infiltrate the church and, and it's been normalized. They've missed the point of using their gifts uh, that God has given them. They've really been this church in, in mess. And Paul has had 14 chapters of addressing all these issues. And what we come to now is fundamental to it all. In many ways, Paul says, everything, every single thing that revolves around church life and what you believe as Christians, it has absolutely no meaning whatsoever without the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you may be here and super skeptical about the claim of, uh, that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, fair enough. This isn't a small claim. This is massive. Uh, it is so massive that, that even those followers of Jesus, uh, we often shy away from talking about this because it's so unusual. I'll admit straight up, the resurrection isn't something that I'm really bringing up in conversation often. It's, it's easy as followers of Jesus to get into that headspace of, you know what, Easter is just the time where we talk about the resurrection. Uh, We'll just kind of leave it for there. We'll be weirdos for a couple of days, and then we'll just kind of like sink back into everything else in culture. What Paul is saying is that that cannot be our mindset. Consider every single thing we've talked about, that you believe all we've done, it is worthless without the resurrection. Christianity, it stands or it falls on it. And so read with me sentence 12 to 13. It will come up on the screen. And Paul says this at the start of this passage. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. The big question uh, some of the Corinthians were struggling with was will the resurrection take place? Uh, That is, those who have died, who believe in Jesus, will be raised from the dead at the final day. And and Paul's question here of how can some of you say is targeting those in the Corinthian church that were doubting and were probably falling into believing the Greek philosophy of the time instead of the gospel. Uh, The Greek uh, philosophy and thought was that uh, there is no kind of bodily afterlife. Uh, Rather, the, the soul was immortal. And so, some doubted that the bodily bodily resurrection was either necessary, uh, not necessary, or just that it wasn't just aligned with their Greek ideas. You know, they were even baptizing people as like substitutes for those who had already died because of their uncertainty. And you may be wondering, well, like it doesn't sound all all that bad. You know, they, they probably still believe that Jesus dying on the cross meant That their sins were forgiven. So, really, what harm is there here? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if if many of us here were of that mind, you know, the mind of like, hey, the resurrection, like, it's cool and it's great, but like, it's not really that fundamental. It's like the, the the bonus at the end of a financial year. It's kind of cool that you get it, but like, it's not really fundamental. What Paul says is, if that's our thinking, we've really missed it. What's the point of what I'm doing? What's the point of what your, you're doing? This doesn't happen. So let me just compact all that he says uh, about the resurrection uh, in these verses because this isn't a minor issue. So you'll come up on the screen. In sentence 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In sentence 15, if Christ has not been raised, we are found to be misrepresenting God. Literally, we are false witnesses because we testified of God that he raised Great, uh, raised Christ. Sentence 17. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Sentence 18. If Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Sentence 19. If Christ has not been raised, then we of all men most to be pitied. In summary, <laughs> everything that a Christian believes utterly ridiculous and we should be pitied most of all if this isn't true if this isn't true as paul says in sentence 32 let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die let's just let's just eat and drink and travel the world non-stop let's just fill everything into the now let's forget about this hope let's rule it out for tomorrow we die i mean We are still in our sin if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If you're a follower of Jesus who believes that his work on the cross means your wrongdoings are wiped away before God, without the resurrection, we are still not right with God. And this is big. So I wonder, does the resurrection bear this weight in your life? And if it doesn't, could it be that we don't understand its significance? Could it be that we've, that we've missed a step on the hope for eternity that it brings? Have we missed it? I had a, a, an audition uh, for a film once when I was acting, my acting days. And uh, when you go for an audition, your agent gives you, uh, normally gives you the script a couple of days for so you can go over it and, and prepare um, and in this audition I had, in the script, the character that I was going for was um, interacting with uh, a girl he was interested in, and, um, and so I prepared, and, uh, and I walk into the audition room, and it's camera set up, and the director's there, and the casting agent's there, and um, there was uh, a, an action in the script, um, after a bit of dialogue, that was, uh, that was this. It was something like, um, you know, I, I made a joke, the character made a joke, the girl chuckled, and then it was Daniel Beaming continues typing. And I don't know why, but, um, but I didn't take that as, you know, like beaming smiling, as if you would like grinning. Um, I don't know why, but I took that line as staring intensely. <laughs> like, like my eyes were laser beams. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. So, so I, I did that in the audition, and it was very awkward. It was very awkward. Um, the director after that take was like, yeah, 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 great. Um, let's do another one. Uh, this time, you know, when she laughs at you, joke, then just kind of, um, you just grin a little, smile. And then it dawned on me what beaming really meant. Um, I felt like an idiot, I tell you. I, I completely missed the point. I, I completely missed it. Uh, finally, so we, we, we then did uh, it a proper couple of ways um, with me actually smiling as the director redirected me. And we wrapped up the audition. Like, And I was just like, man, I was such an idiot. Um, I missed the point of the scene. Yet when I, when I did do it and with the, when the director told me to, surprisingly in the end, I got the gig, which is weird. He redirected me and, and, and it worked out. And I guess like, the, the point of this is that if you're feeling that you've missed the significance of the resurrection in life, if you've just missed its value, if if you've just missed what it's worth to you, listen in. Because living without hope as a Christian may mean you've missed a step of what the beauty of this is. I say if there is hopelessness in your life right now and you're looking for assurance, be redirected to what you're missing. And so Paul does that. He redirects this and he said, there is hope in eternity and there's an assurance that you can have in it because Jesus is the first fruit and king. Have a look at me in in, in sentence 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If Jesus was raised, then he is the first fruit, the first of this new life. He is the symbol for eternity. And if you're unsure about this idea of of what does he mean by the the first fruit, well, it's an agricultural uh, metaphor that that points to the initial quality of a harvest. And so, imagine you are a tomato farmer, let's say, and uh, you've had amazing rain this year. Uh, You've added this, like, premium uh, fertilizer to your soil. Uh, You're telling everyone, wait for these tomatoes. Uh, They are going to be juicy. They're going to be round. They're going to be crimson red." They're gonna blow your mind. That this this harvest, you, you just wait for it. This is going to be awesome. You could you could talk the talk as a farmer, but unless your harvest came true, it's all empty, isn't it? It's all empty. It's all empty words. Up until the first tomato has grown and you see it and you taste it, there is little reason to believe the harvest will be any good. But if an amazing patch does grow, if it does produce, and you get the first fruits, there is solid reason to believe that the next will also be amazing. There is solid reason to trust in that. And this is the point here that Paul is saying. If Jesus is the first fruit, then he is the evidence of the resurrection to come. We too will be raised to life, to new life, if we trust in him the resurrection vindicates and affirms all that jesus spoke of it vindicates the work of the cross and it says he is trustworthy to put hope in you're no longer in your sins your faith has meaning you no, are, no longer are to be pitied and also like you're not separated from this it's like this resurrection includes you he goes on in sentence 23 have a look but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. If you're wondering if you can have assurance as a Christian, this is vital. What this verse means is that at his coming, so when he returns, those who belong, so those who follow Jesus, will also be raised. That's the order of the resurrection of the dead. That those who follow Jesus are included in this. His resurrection, Jesus' resurrection as the first root, is like a big stamp on the world saying there is new creation that is coming. And if you belong to Him, you get that stamp too. What Paul is saying is that we are bound up in what's going on with Jesus' resurrection. You can't separate it from us. Him raising will mean you will too. And this truth, it it only just gets better because as Jesus is risen, he's also risen as king. Sentences 24 to 28 uh, describe that he is a mediator of God's authority in every dominion in this age until he has crushed the last enemy, death. And so as we wait for that day when we will rise again, he is king. And he calls us to trust him now, I think it's a truth that deep in our heart of every person is, is really a longing for someone that you can count on through thick and thick, thick and thin, or, or or some authority who is absolutely trustworthy that you can just really rely on. You know, maybe some of us have friends or or, or husbands and wives who, who, who that is the case for us. What I say that the resurrection says that Jesus is a friend that is far more trustworthy than anyone you know. When Jesus uh, Jesus says in his great commission, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, he means it. His resurrected state and king over all brings us deep love and it brings us security now. And so when we go out on our day and our days are hard, is our first go-to this risen king? He, he, He hears us, he sees us, he knows us, he rules now. Why would we not do that? Or rather, if things go a bit pear-shaped, what do you cling to? Do you cling to insecure things, things that won't provide you lasting truth? Is your go-to maybe hope in, in, in money and that security that you have in it? Is it the marriage that, you know, at least that I have my marriage? Is it the freedom that you have where you can say, well, at least I can just pack up my things and move country? Now, is it your health where you say, well, at least I have my health? When things get hard, these things aren't secure. Tragedy does happen. Life is unexpected. One moment you can have everything, and then and the next you could lose it all. Heck, our bodies right now, everyone's body here is decaying. But the resurrection gives us hope that someone is in control now. But also gives us hope for life to come. It gives us hope right now for life after death. Paul knew this truly. In, in sentence 30, he, he, he's, he's talking and he says, why are we in danger? He's talking to Corinthians saying like, I, I am, I'm preaching this gospel that Jesus rose from the dead. And death right now and persecution that I will face is a very real reality. Paul then was, in fact, killed for preaching this. And remember, this is is the guy who was going around and persecuting Christians. He encountered Jesus, and his life was changed. He went from persecuting them to being killed for them. And how did he do that? Well, he knew that death wasn't the end for him. Because the resurrection also pointed that Jesus had conquered death and he didn't need to fear anything. In fact, he knows this. We didn't read this at the start, but but these bodies are just seeds of the one to come. And so he explains in in verses 35 to 49 that this body is is just fleeting. And and what he does is he he uses the seed analogy that just as you put a seed into the ground, does it flourish and grow into a plant. So it is the same with the body. When it dies and it goes underground, you will be raised, if you trust in Jesus, into a new physical, spiritual body. The brokenness in each of us will be mended forever. And our eternal bodies will replace our aging flesh. We won't get sick anymore. We won't get hurt. We won't get tired. How good is that? How good is the promise that our aching bodies will be made new? This is amazing hope. And it's hope you can trust in how, and it's hope you can cling to. Because there's one final thing that that Paul says to give us assurance. Paul concludes this chapter with this triumphant rally call of victory that gives us this further hope for eternity and peace now. So he he says in sentence 54, have a look. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that it was written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God won victory over sin and death. Death has which has been pains to us, which has been this so broken and, and causes us so much pain, has been defeated. We know, and you know, like death is just the worst. The hollowness that it, that it brings you, just, it just begs for hope in something else. And I'll be honest, when I, when I hear these words, death is, is swallowed up in victory, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? If I'm honest, it, it's, it's hard to feel or imagine that the sting of death won't always be present in this life. Like, it's hard. There is real loss now, and it hurts. But Paul's point here isn't to diminish the pain and mourning of it, but it's to point us to the great victory Jesus won when he rose from the dead. This should point us to the day where there is no sting no longer. It's it, it sting like a poisonous scorpion is just over. It has been crushed. There is hope because Jesus rose from the grave. And no one can do that by themselves. He conquered and did what we could not do. No one has the ability to do that apart from God. And so the order of this life right now, of life then death, it stopped in the future, and, and the way is rewritten. And there is a place that we see in the book of Revelation that is just beautiful. Have a look with me on the screen. In Revelation 21, a place, this is, this, is, this is what's in store, heaven, a place where he will wipe every, away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. This is a beautiful picture of, of the heaven that we have hope in. Not only do we have new bodies, but we have this place, this beautiful place, where there will be no more pain, no more mourning, no more crying. Well, I don't know what, what, what pain you're feeling right now or, or what's really getting to you, This place is on offer to you. And it is a delight for you now. Honestly, this this hope, this gets me through difficult times. Um, I don't often share too personally when I'm up here, um, but God's put on my my heart to share this. Um, Often, I feel like a broken failure in, in all areas of life. I, I would say weekly that I, I have something in my head that I dwell on and it gets to me. Uh, about a month or so ago, I, I had two weeks where I just, I just felt more flattened down than I, than I had been in a long time. I couldn't stop thinking over and over that I was just failing in everything. From my relationship with God... Like, I wasn't investing in him. I wasn't praying. I wasn't reading the Bible. I wasn't spending quality time with him. I was trying to share and read the gospel with other people, and I was failing at that. I was feeling like a failure of a brother and a son. I was feeling like a failure of a friend. I was feeling really down about even my usefulness here as a leader at City Light. I felt like a failure. And I was asking myself, should I even be a leader here? At my other job, I just wasn't hitting the numbers that we needed. And so I felt, felt a failure there as well. Honestly, like, I, I, I felt like a fool with just nothing to offer. You know, I could have, I could have spiraled further, but God was gracious to pull me out of that. And he stepped in. It didn't completely change me. Um, I will most likely feel like a broken failure for the rest of my life because of my pride. It will go up and it will go down. But God has been kind in allowing me to dwell on this passage because it has been just what my soul needed. Because the hope of a resurrected life is a delight for the soul. To have eternity with God, already secured, makes everything that I put my hopes in, in this life, just fade. Eternity with a new body isn't just a concept for me. It's a reality that pulls me out when I feel like an idiot and a failure. I just really want you to have this Like, I'm not saying I'm perfect with this. I often get eternity amnesia. I easily forget all this. But as my mind is drawn back to the resurrection, I can honestly say, I do not fear death. Like, I don't in the slightest. I have a king now who looks over me and will see me through to resurrection where there will be no more brokenness in this world. Like, it brings me so much delight and joy. This is worth... Losing out so much on in this life now for. And this is how Paul wraps up the chapter. He he draws us in to say, like, this hope is amazing, so stick in there. Be steadfast. Use this hope now. And so he says in sentence 58, it'll be on the screen, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast. Don't be changed by culture. Don't be changed by your fear of failure. But rather, overflowing in the loving work of the Lord. And what is that work? Well, it's the work of, of sharing the gospel. This is hard stuff. We know it to be hard stuff. I know so many of us feel like our efforts are in vain. But the resurrection says it isn't. You know, you may feel like being a follower of Jesus is just hard work, and you're just getting slammed at work for following Him. You may be getting slammed by your friends, your family, for just being a follower of Jesus. You know, just the other day, I saw a friend on on Facebook, a sweet girl was called a stain on the earth because she follows Jesus. It's not easy work if we are truly standing up for Jesus while we look as fools to, loving, to loved ones, the hope that we have in the resurrection is so good. The hope is that there is more to come. If we understand that this life is perishable and these bodies are seeds, we live and we see the world differently. We should be so much more willing to sacrifice so much that we would endure discomfort because we know this brokenness is momentary. This life now is, is just the start. And I, I love how C.S. Lewis puts this at the end as he wraps up the Chronicles of Narnia. And he wraps this up as a reflection of this image of eternity come. He says this, All their life in this world and all their adventures had only, only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. This is only the beginning. So stand firm. If someone were to look at our, our lives right now, could they see that we do not hold on to things that tightly? Or would they see us as everyone else? Would they see in us that they live for something else to come? Or would they see that we're just on about the now? Are we we putting our heads down in fear? Because I just want to say, you will lose out on nothing in this life that won't be unbelievably better in the resurrection. You won't miss out on a house. You won't miss out on a job. You will miss out on nothing. You will have no FOMO in heaven that won't be there. It is, it is amazing hope. If you're here today and, and you are unsure about the resurrection, I know I haven't gone into kind of the, the evidence for it, um, but as this passage says, there is so much that God offers you. And if you think that this hope is worth, the, the offer that is there is worthwhile, I just want to say, please do investigate it investigate it further. We'll provide you on stuff to read. We'll meet up and we'll chat. We'll, we'll give you the reasons why we believe this. Come ask us. But for all of us, the, this hope in eternity is what's on offer. And so I just want to finish on a story on a life changed by this hope for eternity. That we might actually say that this way of, of living, it, it is possible that we'd see that we won't, we won't lose out on anything now. And so this is the story of Charles Thomas Studd. You may have heard this before. He was a famous English cricketer who went on to be a missionary in China, Africa, and India. So this is it. Charles uh, Thomas Studd was the youngest of the Studd brothers, great name, uh, who were known for their cricket skills at Eton and Cambridge. Charles played in the first test match match, uh, against England and Australia where the Ashes were named. He was converted to Christianity along with his brothers while at Eden. And of the moment he, w- he met God for the first time, he said this, Right then and there, joy and peace came into my soul. I knew then what it was to be born again. And the Bible, which had been so dry to me before, became everything. When he decided to give up sport to pursue a career as a missionary, he said, I know that cricket would not last and honor would not last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. In his twenties, he served in the China Inland Mission, where he married Priscilla Livingston Stewart, who was also a missionary there. They lived in China for 10 years, but they moved back to the UK due to ill health, but then he went back to serve in a church in India. Later Priscilla and their daughters stayed in England, while Charles worked in Central Africa. Until his death in 1931. In one of his last letters home, Studd wrote this As I believe I am now nearing my departure from this world, I have but a few things to rejoice in. These are these that God called me to China, and I went in spite of utmost opposition from all my loved ones. Two, that I joyfully acted as Christ told that rich young man to act. And three, that I deliberately, at the call of God, when alone on the Bibby Liner in 1910, gave up my life for this work, which was to be henceforth not for the Sudan only, but for the whole unevangelized world. My only joys, therefore, are that when God has given me a work to do, I have not refused it. Charles Studd took this seriously. So the call for us today. And to consider that our lives should be oriented around this hope, this hope we have in eternity, to live seriously now for God before the resurrection, to stand firm, and go on doing the work He's called us to. in each of us there is this longing that our lives be well spent, that the end that we won't go. Wow, I really missed that. That allows ca- that our lives count for something. They have significance and usefulness. And the resurrection is the answer for this. So stand firm and abound in the work of the gospel for the hope to come. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we we thank you so much that you sent Jesus on the cross and that he just didn't stay in the ground but that you raised him to life. Father, we thank you that you have set out this hope for us. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would change our hearts to follow you. Follow you in the difficult seasons. Lord, we want to hold and cling to this hope. You have been so good to us. Father, we just pray as we feel the brokenness of this world. We we'll want to pray for those now who are feeling down. And struggling with whatever, Lord, that, that you would restore them with this hope of what is to come. Help us all just cling to this and, and, and motivate each other. Help us to abound in your work. Lord, may this hope drive us forward. May it change our days for the rest of our life. Amen.